0: No. It's just, yeah. They're <laughs> gonna we're gonna have a healing service. Praise the Lord all the time. <laughs> Praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Well, Father, we do thank you and bless and praise you. We worship you and honor you. Your word is light, life, health, bread, everything to us, Lord. Thank you. Open up your word to us that we can know these things that you've given us to know by your spirit, entrusting in us the word of life. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So uh, today we're going to ask you ask yourself a question: Is can your faith be seen? Can your faith be seen? Very important that your faith be seen. In Luke five, and it's actually in three, uh, two other. Um, Gospels, this story about a young man, <coughs> the, the, some, some people describe it as the King James, the, a man born of four, or a young man carried by four people. Into a Jesus meeting And uh, you know one on each corner Of the, the cot Or the mat that he was laid on Because he was paralyzed He was uh, what we would call really a paraplegic uh, Or uh, a quadriplegic really One of the, the two But he could not walk And so and it, he had some type of a uh, The Bible describes it as a palsy Or uh, some type of um, paralyzing disease and so uh, there have been times where in my life I felt paralyzed and not able to go forward in the things of God or for fear or you know something holding you back and so that's not just for a physical paralysis but sometimes it can be emotional and many people that, that live emotionally paralyzed they can't go any farther uh in their emotions um, there's and there's a lot of damaged people around you know people reach out to one another looking for love and and get so damaged in the process so there's all kinds of crippled and damaged taut, lame blind people you know that describes so many of us in so many different ways but <clears throat> these young men had something about them that got Jesus' attention. And uh, this is something that we really, really, really want to focus in on because I think oftentimes as believers we take some things for granted. Um, I know as a younger believer I was just so active in the things of God you know remember them days <laughs> when you really wanted to please him and let him know it constantly uh, you know where you were uh pulling God's chain all the time trying to get his attention and God use me here God use me I gotta do this God do that and all this kind of stuff and uh uh and and so a lot of times those things can can be lost to us uh In the seeking of something better or seeking of uh, something new or something different. Sometimes the transitions in life and blessings that God can bring into our lives can so uh, capture our attention that we lose kind of a foundational thing that that kept us going and, and added blessing to our lives. Uh, you know, we, we talk about times to be careful, you know, when things are going bad and when things are going good. Sometimes when things are going well, uh, we can let go of uh, some of the things that we God was developing in us that he meant for us to be a permanent part of our lifestyle. Uh, I think I was talking, it was uh, Shannon I was talking to, and uh, Shannon Crowley, and we were talking about a friend of hers. Um, and uh, Shannon was saying this girl, would go witnessing in the streets and she'd get anybody baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's just kind of a, a gift and an automatic thing and she said it was just so a part of her while they were in Bible school. And it seems that 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 has left her as the years have progressed, you know, she got married, had a baby, you know, had a real difficult marriage and so forth and I was sharing with Shannon I said well you know there's some credibility to the fact that maybe she's lost some favor with God and lost some uh, blessing in her life by stepping away from that in favor of something else she asked God for. You see what I'm saying? And so we have to be careful as believers to let God set our priorities at all times. And keep these things that you do for God that are life changing Especially when you're going out winning souls over and seeking to add to the flock. Those things are high priority with God. You know that not everything's a big priority with him. But Jesus, the Bible says, will leave the ninety and nine that are in the pen and go out and find the one lost one see so there's a certain holding value to the 90 and 9 we're valuable but we've already come into obedience to that there's somebody out there straying away and so God will secure those those aren't at risk anymore they're secured but he goes and risks for the one that's out there lost and so we have to have that kind of mindset where we come into agreement with God as to his priority of things and so it's always high on his list to share Christ with whoever he opens that door to share him with and so people who don't know the Lord and, and, and don't know God and and maybe that tried at one time to get involved in God and then couldn't get involved anymore. Those individuals tend to stay on high priority as far as God is concerned and so when we are strengthened the Bible says we can go out and convert somebody and so eventually the 99 that are secured can go out and help retrieve the one who is lost. You see what I'm saying? We become the shepherd who begins to bring those people in and so that's a a real high priority thing in God. Not that a marriage and a family is not. But you can't set high priority on everything in your life all the time. You have to get God's mind about how his priority goes sometimes it's okay to to uh, let some ministry go and spend time with family you understand and let it be quality time let it be the kind of time God wants you to spend and so that those things will be satisfying and fulfilling uh, to family members and so uh, at all times we have to understand God's mind and understand his priority of things but the other part too is that Jesus has something in mind when he tells us uh, that we are to have faith in him there's a way that that faith must be demonstrated and it is in the doing of things it's in what we do and so uh, in in uh, Luke chapter 5 I think it's verse 17 it starts it says and it came to pass in a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of galilee, galilee and judea jerusalem now think about this he got a big crowd of unbelievers religious. i mean look you see how far the devil will will send people from to come harass you at a jesus meeting and so here all these uh pharisees sitting there doctors of the law sitting by for what purpose why do you think they were there Why were they always there at Jesus meetings? Yeah, and to judge him, to sit there and discuss, you know, while he's talking, they're discussing whether whether or not he's a sinner. You know, all this nonsense stuff. Instead of using their faith. Big difference in what you get out of a meeting when you go. Are you there to judge, criticize, and and ensnare? Or are you there to get something out of it by using your faith? You can go either way. And so he says, and behold, men brought in a man in a bed who was taken with a palsy. And they sought a means to bring him in to lay him before Jesus. So here's somebody that really needs the Lord, but he can't get in there for all the for all the rs's <laughs> and we took a head count we could say there's probably for every 100 pharisees only one person with faith <laughs> and so anyway he says and when they couldn't find a way to get in eh, well jesus taught that he said the that the uh uh beware the leaven of the pharisees he says they don't enter in and they keep you from going in huh they don't enter in themselves and they will keep you from going in if they can help it and so he says when they couldn't find a way that they might bring him in for the multitude they went to the housetop let him down through the tile With his couch to the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith. He said something that that got this kid healed and blew the Pharisees minds too. Jesus always kills two birds with one stone. He told him he said man your sins are forgiven you. And he knew that would send the Pharisees up the wall and they began to reason saying who is this speaking blasphemies who can forgive sins but God only when Jesus perceived their thoughts he asked them why are you reasoning in your hearts he said what do you think is easier to say your sins be forgiven arise and walk he said but that you may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins so he has a teaching moment and he has a healing moment all in the same service you teach preach and heal all in the same so he's got to address that religion and unbelief that's sitting there he can't just ignore that holy spirit won't let it go by and he also has to address the need that's in the room and so the same word that heals The one that's wanting to receive. The door of faith is open in this young man to receive his healing. That same word that's healing him is also convicting the judges over there. And so Jesus says, okay, I'll say that then. Rise, take up your bed and walk. You got me? Whichever one you want me to say, whatever word I deliver to this young man is going to heal him and get him up off of that bed. When Jesus tells you to get up. And walk, that means your sins are forgiven so when you get your healing that means it's all good see nothing they're holding standing between you but jesus said i said that for your benefit <laughs> so that you would know that i have the power on earth to forgive sins and so <clears throat> here again it says they were all amazed and glorified god and were filled with fear saying we have seen strange things this day huh so if that's all people can ever say about you it's a good thing you're in good company if they can look at what you've done and say we've seen strange things today we've seen a strange person today that's a good thing now it says here Jesus saw their faith he saw their faith now some people may believe that that means that faith is something that's visible in the realm of the spirit and it may be but Jesus saw their faith and we can see it too because their faith was an action this is something we have to really really stay focused on and and stay solid in is the action that corresponds to what we say we believe there has to be an action that's in agreement with what we say we believe See, you can't say that you trust God with your finances and you don't give to Him. You can't say that you trust Him at all and you don't give. You don't worship. You don't don't go to church. You don't do a lot of things. Many times people... Get you know, they get excuse bound, you know, Uh, well, I want to come to church because, but I can't because, you know, this, that, and the other, the more excuses you make, the more you lock yourself in to not, Reversing that because it's hard to reverse once you start making excuses. See if you can't go you can't go but don't lock yourself into a reason because you have to unlock your mind from all the reasoning because reasons really give you an excuse for something that God does not excuse. You understand what I'm saying? There are times when we, we you know, we're desperate, say for our finance and gotta do this and got but don't let it become a habit. Don't let yourself get settled into it. And I found with, with people that really understand faith and understand how God can work, they'll look for things. They don't get themselves locked into days that they can't come to church anyway. They don't let the enemy rob them from that from the beginning. So most people who are successful at getting to church and and getting there regularly doing ministry, whatever will use their faith to free themselves up so that they don't have to fight that fight after they get locked into it. After you got bills and after you got things coming in and all of that, then you got to try to free yourself again but it's best not to let your soul get locked into reasonings that excuse you from having to do something that you know is a requirement from God it's a requirement from God he tells us not to forsake assembling Uh, ourselves together uh with with believers you know you you gotta you got to do these things these things are necessary so that your life in god can be uh worthwhile to you it can be pleasing complete and all that kind of stuff you know you you gotta you gotta get together uh, with believers i know many times we'll have little meetings that we'll go to sometimes I remember some of the really, really good meetings. I just loved those uh, small meetings where you could share the word and you could pray for one another. You could have good experiences in God. You didn't have a, a bunch of uh, people rushing you in and rushing you out. You know, you had an agenda where you really touch God, and and I thought that was wonderful. I thought this is the real way to be real with God, and so these things are are very, very important for us to know. Uh, that we need to hold on to them. But faith without works is not faith. There's no life there. you know. Now you can believe. But your believing has to move you to do something. Toward God. Other than that you're believing something other than God. And you're moving in a different kingdom. A different spirit. A different way of doing things. In James chapter 2 we see that kind of explained pretty clearly. He says here, in James 2, maybe, hmm, verse 14, we'll say, What prophet is it, my brethren, though a man say he has faith, and have not worked, can faith save him? See, if you, if you have faith in God, just even to get into the kingdom, you got to have a work of confession to go with that but beyond your confession there have to be works actions that correspond to your faith he says if a brother or sister is naked or destitute of daily food and once you say to them depart in peace be warm be filled i mean you just bless them with your words and other words <laughs> and never do anything to eliminate the problem you see what i'm saying what profit is it now you know sometimes we we laugh about things like that and in this sense it's humorous and in, in the way i I presented it but the thing of it is that there are many many christians around the world who are asking god to supply needs and they seldom get met why because he God is depending on somebody else another individual human uh, to respond to that need and to meet that need and so if god can move us to, if we love God, how do we demonstrate that? By loving Him and loving one another. If you love me, you'll treat me like you want to be treated. You don't want to be cold and wet and hungry, and neither do I. So if you see me that way and you have a means to help me, you'll do something to eliminate that. And that, that's just so normal of Christian life. He says, even so, faith, if it does not have works, is dead being alone. So your faith needs a helper to get it to be productive down here on earth. Your faith needs you to do something to demonstrate that that's what you believe. Your works of faith should demonstrate that you believe that which you say you believe. And so he says, yes, a man may say... You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So in other words, he'll say if this hand over here is faith without works, this is faith with works, which one is going to be the most productive? And so of course we know the one that's faith with works will produce more than the one that's just talk. In other words, talk is cheap. (laughs) Doesn't talk to cost you anything to say. And that's the one thing about Christianity. We have to watch ourselves and watch each other because we are so good at talking everything. We talk stuff to death, man. And God's going to do this, and I got a word here, and I got this going on. (laughs) And if we never take it any farther, Than just the talking stage. It will never produce what we say. It's supposed to, to produce. So he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, you believe that there's one God. Well, you do well. He says, that's cool. As far as it goes, he says, but devils got more faith than you because they believe God and then they get nervous. <laughs> they tremble. We should tremble too. You understand what I'm saying? Saying we believe God. We should at least have some godly fear working in us or some pursuit of God to show our faith. He says, but will you know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son on the altar? Hmm said he believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. When Abraham first met God, God said leave where you are and he went. So he had works to accompany his faith. Sometimes we miss that when we read the word. We see where Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And then they show that he got up and did what God told him to do. So we have to make sure we see those works of faith each and every time. And he says, see you how faith uh, wrought with works and by works was faith made perfect. Then the scripture was filled which says Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him as righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. See, it has to be faith with works, not works without faith. But if you believe in your heart and it moves you to do a corresponding action, then that's faith. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And the devil likes it that way. He likes having a church full of people with dead faith. You know, they come in, they worship, they jump up and down and all that kind of stuff. And then Monday through Friday, they just go back to living for themselves. See, there's nothing in between that shows that what they got in the assembly of the righteous is carried out in their day-to-day activities, in their day-to-day routine, in their day-to-day life. God, what is it that you want me to do that will affect my surroundings for you? i'm a christian i'm sent as a believer in this earth you have positioned me in this earth to do certain things that believers say they are supposed to do what do i do see this is what you have to come to grips with as a believer the uh gentleman who wrote our book uh um Uh, crowns for the wise. Remember that when we did on soul winning? He's just an ordinary businessman. But he took the believer's ministry seriously. And he learned how to earnestly pray for souls, how to spot the ones God sent to be saved, how to, you know, do what he needed to do. He always had something in the works for God that showed. And see, the, the, the more we put off things like that, the harder it seems to get to do. See, you know, it's like reasoning again. Well, you know, I, I I I would witness to people, but I don't do it because these people don't want God, or this is an evil world, and people. You know, you can your mind can come up with all kinds of excuses to keep your faith bottled up. But all you have to really do is spend some time meditating with God on those scriptures about the harvest is plentiful, but the you know what I'm saying, the laborers are few. God, I want to be a laborer. I don't want to spend most of my time trying to figure out how to get extra money to pay my bills. Or how to get this done or that done. I want to spend my time doing what you put me here to, to spend it doing. And that is to win souls for you. To, to bring people into your kingdom. And so, when Jesus says, show me your faith by your works... It's very important that, that we've got to uh, be working diligently in labor for the gospel to, to, so Jesus can see our faith. He must see what we have. Luke 7 9 talks about Jesus looking for faith. He says, I have not found so great faith in Israel. When he was saying that in response, I think that was in response to the centurion. When he was, uh, 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 he told him he wanted his servant healed. So Jesus looks for faith. He saw great faith in that man because of what he said, what he expected, and what he did. He came and humbled himself to the Lord. Let me turn there real quick so we can all get a picture of that. In Luke chapter 7. In Luke 7 we'll see how this man demonstrated great faith, great faith. I think there's an expectation God has out of all of us to, to use our faith to at least a certain degree. It's like, you know, this is kindergarten, you can at least trust me this this degree. And so I know he expected a certain level of faith out of the people of the the nation of Israel, out of his own people. Because he knew they had the scriptures, he knew they had and some of them did. There were some some of the uh some from the nation of Israel that believed the Lord and that did follow him. But he kind of marveled at people who had no background whatsoever, you know, and like, where did these people get this from? You know, if these people over here who've had it all these years can't demonstrate it, these people over here have it in, in a great measure because they're willing to step out and do something with it. So here we have it. It says... <clears throat> Verse two: A certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. Oh, he was on his deathbed. When he heard of Jesus, he sent him the elders sent unto him the elders of the Jews, asking him that he would come and heal his servant. So here he uh, here is a man who knows he's distant from God. You know, like a sinner would be distant from God. He's a Gentile. He's outside of the covenant of God. So he seeks someone who can intercede for him and intervene for him. So he gets the elders of the synagogue to come and present his case before Jesus. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly saying that this man was worthy. Here we go with the nonsense. Jesus cares nothing about what this man has given, what he's done. He cares only about faith. And so he says, oh, he loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue when Jesus went with them. And when he was now not far from the house of centurion, sent friends saying, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Neither did I think myself worthy even come to you. But this man is doing this because he loves a servant. He's humbling himself to a a very high degree and going through a lot of trouble. How much trouble are we willing to go through? (laughs) I can remember back in the day I would save up my money. I would pray and just look every day for a a little more money to come in so I could get to a place that I knew I could get the word of God. You understand what I'm saying? Those kinds of things. That's what this man's doing here. It's those things we used to do. Of course, you know, when you pay that price and you get the word, God will make it a little easier for you sometimes. But then he'll test you in other areas as well. And that's what this guy is doing here. He wants so badly to see this servant heal. And he's not willing to take no for an answer. See, at first he's thinking... I need to get there, but this, this man's on his deathbed already. He's refusing to let him die. That's one level of faith right there. He doesn't feel worthy. He had second thoughts of even asking. Because he knew he's got, He, as far as he knows, he got nothing to stand, nothing to, you know, recommend him or commend him that, that God would do this for him. And so he says... But even in all of that, there's faith there working somewhere that God will recognize. See, all the unworthy, all the I shouldn't be asking, all of the this and the that, and all of that stuff means nothing because whatever faith you have working underneath that is so much stronger. All of those things, those, you know, excuses kind of explode and evaporate into nothing in the faith in the face of faith. See? In the face of faith in God, all your excuses, all of your uh qualifications, all of the I shouldn't be, and all of the well I shouldn't have done this and I'm not worthy and all that, this man's really wrestling in his mind with whether or not he can even get involved in this kind of stuff. But he keeps thinking about the servant. See, the his heart is knit to this servant of his and he wants to see him helped so badly. Sometimes intercession can be a door for us to get to know God in a greater way. I still say when you pray for other people, your your information level about God is increased, your desire to work for him is increased, everything's enhanced because you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it on behalf of somebody else. And God rewards that. He rewards. He's got to see the Bible says the one who labors for the harvest is a partaker of the first fruits so you get some harvest off of that i don't care where you pray who you pray for how you pray for people and if you'll be earnest and you'll be sincere about your labor for the Lord, it pays off that much more. So that's why I try to encourage people. You know, when you when you pray, get here on time for prayer. Get involved in the prayer. Get, you you know, let put all the distractions away and let your focus be one hundred percent on what you're laboring in for God. And, and there's great reward for that. You know, never take that kind of stuff for granted or or be casual about it because it's so very very important. So this centurion really is this man's intercessor. He's a, and then he needs intercessors for him. <laughs> intercessors need intercessors. And so he says, I didn't think myself worthy to come to you, but but just say a word and my servant will be healed. And he says, I understand the power of your word because, and see this man's probably sat there and he said to himself, he's, he's all the excuses well, don't ask him because you're not a Jew. You, you're not clean enough. You don't live right. You don't serve the same God. You don't have no history. Whether You don't know anything about this. Yeah, you build him a synagogue, but deep in your heart, you don't know anything about these people. You just wanted to, to do something kind for him or whatever his motivation was. And so his mind battles him just like ours battle us when we need something uh, from the Lord. You know, it, just the same old, same old. And he said this, he said, if you just say the word, he said, because I'm a man set under authority, and I have people under me, and I tell them do this, do that. He said, if you could just do that, you know, if you could, could give me that much of your time, don't come over here. This isn't the holy house, this isn't a house where I would invite a minister to come in, but just say the word and my servant will be healed just say the word and my servant will be healed sometimes you know you get your better reception from people who are Least qualified to help you out than you would from those who are. You know, sometimes there's there's more uh, graciousness extended to you uh, for from people who don't know anything about what you do. They just know that you know you get results and you're man of God or whatever, whatever. It's just like the widow that that saw Elisha coming by her house all the time. You know, and she she eventually gradually drew him in because she saw something of God in that man, and she. She wanted to honor that. And so he says, Jesus said, I say to you, I've not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. He says, great faith. Why is it great faith? Because this man has gone step by step through all the obstacles that in hurdles he had to leap over to get the 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 get close to jesus and even ask him for what he wanted He'll leap over the hurdle of his ungodliness his history the the people that were in the synagogue they're not really jesus supporters they're just you know people who can get that word in there sometimes a messenger doesn't have to be a real spiritual person a messenger just should be able to take a message you see what I'm saying and so they they thought they would bribe Jesus in the coming Jesus must have sent some level of faith in this request or he wouldn't have gone with them. So it wasn't the fact that this this man had built a synagogue. It had nothing to do with it. There was something in that request that Jesus responded to. There was some level of faith that this man had already uh, leaped over that caused Jesus to respond. And so he considers that great faith because there's no way this man should feel himself worthy to ask what he asked anyway and so there's the the key sometimes for us it's not what we do right it's not all our credentials it's not how long we study the word it's not how much, many tapes we listen to but it's do we really want desire and trust God with what we're asking for and so that is the key It's a it's a trust thing It really is. It it amounts to a trust issue. So when we know that we trust God, there will be certain things, certain uh, actions to our faith that will show our trust in him. For instance, if if we believe God is good, how do we demonstrate that? You believe God is a good God. How do you demonstrate that you believe he's good? Do you obey him? Do you seek to obey God? You, or do you seek just what you need from Him? And see the every day are you do you, have you trained yourself to respond in a godly way to the difficulties of life? to a godly way in the challenges of life do you read your word and feast on the word continually hide the word in your heart for the purpose of doing the word and not sinning against god there's a purpose you hide the word is you not just reading it for for reading it because it's required or you know you're through the bible which i'm still keeping up Four months and I'm still keeping up with my uh, through the Bible. and so it's not about doing that and going through the Bible, but it's about showing your devotion to God be, in, in wanting to draw near to him. Reading his word is one way to draw near to him and wanting to spend time with him. that's that's what that's about. So if we if we say God is good, Our faith has to demonstrate that in some way. Through obedience, through serving. If you're serving God, how do you serve Him? Do you serve Him grudgingly or do you serve Him joyfully? Do you serve Him consistently and faithfully or is your service inconsistent? You have to, you have to, you know, to sort these things out because they reflect your faith. Okay. If, if somebody's good and they're good to you, then shouldn't you be good back? See, this is, this is I mean, you know, we, we may think on these lines, but then again, we may not. But this is one way that you show God your faith is in the attitude that you take in your service of him. There is a resistance in everybody to servanthood, humility. All of that. You know, the Bible talks about it. You know, the rebellion is bound up in the heart of a child. You know, and the rod of discipline will break that. And so, if we discipline ourselves to serve God continually, then we've got to discipline ourselves and our attitude about it too. We've got to serve Him with joy. If there's no joy, you won't do it number one you won't do it faithfully there will be something wrong with your service you try to you know take something back from it you know that kind of thing where you you withhold something you know you just think you're doing too much It's one lie the enemy puts in people's minds you know sometimes uh, they think what's being expected of them of God is too great you know I, I've seen people do this you know they'll They'll crab about, you know, if we give them something to do here and, uh, you know, they'll complain about it and then they'll go someplace else and do three times as much, you know, (laughs) for somebody else. You know, you understand what I'm saying. It's just, just that or they'll try and start their own ministry and fail at it and find that they're doing 10 times as much well if it was too hard over here why is it going to be any less hard over there but see you think it's going to be better because you can do what you want to do over there and you don't have to take orders from anybody that's a that's a, uh, that's a problem for people see we live in an age where people have not been raised I would say In the nurture and admonition of the Lord, many of them. In fact, increasing numbers of people are not raised in the church. They're not raised in a home where there's godly discipline, godly love. A lot of those things are missing. And so many times people don't understand the value of authority in your life. They don't understand the value of discipline, structure any of those things many times people and this is this is something that's always been true about people who are are being disciplined and trained by God many times people think they're ready long before they're ready you see and they'll want to jump out and start doing things and find that there's no open door you know, and and he uh, just just frustrated. Anybody looking at him can say, "Why can't you see that's not that's not what God wants you to do?" But they keep at it anyway. See pride keeps them pursuing that which is not for them, even though God has a place for them, has something for them to do if they would just be faithful. Faithfulness really is determined by God. I can't tell you when you're your faithfulness is complete or you're through being faithful and you can move on I just don't believe in that kind of nonsense I don't believe you get faithful and then you move on necessarily sometimes faithful means you continue doing what you're doing and add to it you understand what I'm saying? And so we should never look at things in God's kingdom as stepping stones to something greater. You're already in the greater. I don't care if you, if you pick up a piece of paper or a sweep a floor in God's name. You're already in the greater. And so and why would you want to have the burden of souls on your conscience and on your hand when that's not set for you? See, if that's not what God wants you to do, why would you want to take that responsibility on? And I think what happens is that people forget that there's responsibility. In in ministry, you know, and in, in a being in a pulpit makes you responsible for those words that you speak. It makes you responsible for those people that hear. It makes you responsible for all of that stuff because you have to give an account for that, you know. And, and if you haven't talked about that with God, and and you know you don't embrace that and accept that as something God can help you with, you're going to be way 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 out of line. So you'll be thankful that doors close rather than open. And and you wind up having that responsibility that you're not really equipped to handle. And not really equipped to, to shoulder. So it's best if we stay in this place of, of loving God. Showing obedience. Being consistent. Being faithful. I believe faithfulness has its own reward. There's so many things that come into your life if God sees you faithful in what he's given you to do Um, there's an honor that comes into your life there's a blessing that comes into your life there's an ease that comes into your life it takes the struggle out of it uh, if you are faithful you get a sense of accomplishment that comes definitely from God out of his spirit Uh, you get a sense that you're trustworthy uh, that you're not somebody you know that it has to be on pins and needles everything you do you're scared you're going to mess it up or something you get that confidence that comes with with being faithful because you kind of know the ropes God's shown you the ropes and you know your way around and that kind of thing so and it's a good it's a blessed place to be in it really is always accept what God gives you to do with a sense of of dignity uh, uh, joy uh, cheerfulness uh, with honor because God will honor the right attitude He will honor the right attitude. Those attitudes really come with faith. When you do things by faith, it kind of like a package deal opens up to you. So that everything that you need to bless you in what you do comes to you as well. See what I'm saying? Like the joy is there. The rejoicing is there. The honor is there. You don't have to be a grudging participant anymore. Uh, you don't have to pretend like you're pleased with something and deep down you're just seething on the inside. Uh, because the devil wants to get you to, to start acting up and acting stupid. So, And see, many times people who do things with that attitude don't get much reward Then they're angry because I've been doing all this and God hasn't blessed me yet. Well, if you would take it in faith and and get that attitude that comes with faith. Faith always comes with other, other fruit of the Spirit to help it. Faith works by love. And if you can love God and love the people that you are working for and working with, it's extremely important. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. That's a it's a package deal. It's like <laughs> people, would, you know, sometimes uh, women that have children already. Well, I got to find a man that loves me and my kids. That's right, because you're a package deal. You understand what I'm saying? It can't be done with just you and and not everything that comes with you. And so we, we really have to know that that. Loving God's people is part of that package. It's part of that package. So, uh, Jesus, when we, and if we call God our Father, the Bible says, where is his honor? See? if God says, if you call me Father, where is my honor? And, of course, the Bible talks about honoring God in so many ways. You know, love him first, worship him. That's, that's number one honor is to worship God. I mean, he's put nothing else in front of him. Have nothing else before him. It's just, you know, he's just tops. That's it. When, he, when, when, when Jesus doesn't see faith, uh, he only sees faith in God when we do it by the book. You know, when we love God according to the way the word says we should. And when we can take God on his word alone, that's when we can get the greatest benefit of it. We don't have to see anything. We don't have to have anybody's testimony. We don't have to read, you know, have a million confirmations. We can just receive that word and let it go into our hearts. Mix it with faith like Abraham did. He didn't have a confirmation anywhere. He didn't lay a fleece out anywhere. He just mixed that word with his faith. Believed and stepped out. And he saw the result of obeying God. See, you'll see the result of your faith once you get up and do something with it but you gotta let God see it by doing something with it you gotta you gotta blast yourself out of that that uh, box sometimes that we put ourselves in so faith in in uh, his word alone and to take him at his word that's one of the highest uh, levels of faith mix that word mix your faith with the word that you hear just make sure you believe it don't be a skeptic don't be looking for something else don't make excuses for not obeying it but mix it with faith the Bible says we should obey all of the commands of God So picking and sifting through the ones that we like or the ones we think are easy, that is not obedience. So we got to believe every word. There are going to be some that are going to be hard for us because there's, you know, strongholds. (laughs) We all come from different spots and different places, different backgrounds. What's hard for me might be easy for you and so forth and so on so we have to uh, you know we have to um, uh, understand that there is a purpose for for obedience there's something that it does it trains us to just take God at His word. Period. To trust that word, we're not wise enough to decide what word to obey and what word not to obey. We're not honoring God by trying to cut corners in the word and, and want to obey some. For some people, it's easy for them to give a tenth of their income because they might have that left over or something. You know, for some people, it might be a struggle. For some people, the uh, you know keeping a schedule of reading your word and doing that first and and then getting out into the world that might be hard for some people and easy for others and so God has built in a challenge for all of us but we can all meet that challenge and overcome so that we can can prove what the uh, what God says to us so the Bible tells us to obey all of the commands of God it's obedience and and how obedience must be so so, uh, I was thinking about that. And, uh, I know one of the things God told me is obedience must always be immediate. Immediately, when God instructs you to do something, you must obey it. And that, and, and even if it's something that you can't do it right then, your obedience in the now must be, yes sir, thank you, I'll do it God, amen, amen. I hear you, I'm gonna do it, and that it's that response to that command must be obedience just like they do in the military in the service. you know it's a yes, sir, it's a no sir and it and it works because it keeps your heart in obedience. see your words fix your heart and that's an important as- aspect of it you must agree and you must say yes and you must that locks your heart in to obey and then when the opportunity comes when that door is open for you to go through and perform the doing of it then your heart's already in it you don't have to convince yourself because then you'll start if your heart's not in it you'll put it off and you won't want to do what God tells you to do so I've been reading uh this book on uh, uh the Duggar the older four Duggar girls have written a book it's called Growing Up Duggar uh, and I think it took them some time to to write it these girls said that over a two-year period of time they all made their contributions were able to get it completed it really started with one of the uh, uh, cameramen or producers of the show you know people were behind the scenes would sit down and begin to ask them questions about their life in different aspects, you know, when they were just around talking to them and so forth and so on. And I guess this person was so intrigued with these kids had answers. He said, You know, I think you guys, I know your parents have written a couple books, you need to write this down. And so this is how this got started. But it's really full of wisdom. It'll shock you in 20. Young young years, what these kids have observed and learned, and the parents have taught them. So I was going to share this with you. Uh, part of it is uh, it's called the obedience game, uh, and it they talk about how the parents taught them obedience. Now you may say, "Well, geez, twenty kids, you got to do something," <laughs> yeah. but I think if they only had one. You got me? If you're committed to God in your heart, no matter if you got one, you got 20, you got 50, you'll do your best with them. So this is the obedience game. It says, Duggar kids grow up playing the obedience game. It's sort of like Mother May I, except it has a few extra twists. And there's no need to double check with Mother because she or Dad is the one giving the orders. It's one way Mom and Dad help the little kids and family to burn off extra energy some nights before we all put on our pajamas and gather for Bible time Uh uh-huh every night they have bible time (laughs) these people hurt your feelings (laughs) real bad to play them but but i take it to heart you know what i'm saying i'm thinking i said my god there's somebody doing this you know that i rejoice in that and that they god has put them in a place where people could see results you know, with all the people who are sinful broadcasting what they do and and all the the you know jellyfish preachers we have, no backbone preachers we have here 's people everyday people who are doing the word and showing that the results of it, the world can see the results. And it says, to play the obedience game, the little kids all gather in the living room. After listening carefully to mom's or dad's instructions, they'll respond with, yes, ma'am, I'd be happy to. And run and quickly accomplish the task. So that's getting it in your heart. See, when you say yes to it, you lock your heart into the obedience. That's the first step yes I'll do it I'll be happy to for example mom might say Jennifer go upstairs to the girl's room touch the foot of your bed and then come back downstairs and give mom a high five Jennifer answers with an energetic yes ma'am I'd be happy to and off she goes dad might say Johanna run around the kitchen table three times and touch the front doorknob and come back and Johanna stands up and says, yes sir I'd be happy to Jackson go touch the front door and then touch the back door and then touch the side door and then come back Jackson who loves to play army stands at attention then salutes and replies yes sir I'd be happy to as he goes to complete his assignment at lightning speed sometimes spotters are sent along the game play- with the game player to make sure the directions are followed exactly that's the Holy Spirit He's our spotter to make sure we do what we say we're going to do. And of course the faster the orders can be followed the more applause the contestant gets when he or she slides back into the living room out of breath and pleased with himself or herself for having complied flawlessly. All the younger Duggar kids love to play this game. It's a way to make practicing obedience fun four points of obedience the games rules made up by our family stem from our study of the four points of obedience which mom taught us when we were young as a matter of fact as we are writing this book she is currently teaching these points to our youngest siblings obedience must be number one instant we answer with an immediate prompt yes ma'am or yes sir as we set out to obey this response is important to let authority know you heard what he or she asked you to do and that you're going to get it done as soon as possible so this lets god know that we intend to do. We heard what he told us to do. And that we are going to get it done as soon as possible. The worst thing that you can do with an authority person is leave them wondering. Mm-hmm. How many times have people in your workplace told you to do things you don't give them response? Or you let that silence hang see that's a form of manipulation i'm going to say it again it's a form of manipulation because what you want to do is get control back over that situation and the fact that you don't respond in the affirmative gives you control because it makes them wonder what you think what you're going to do and if you'll get it done And how many parents accept that from their children? That silence. And then it gets sullen. And then it gets rebellious. And then they put it off. And it's a form of witchcraft. And we all do it. We all have been victim to it. And we've all perpetrated it. And it needs to stop. Because it has no place in the realm of honor. It has no place in God's kingdom. And it won't be good for you. Because in the day when you need God... Then you'll be the one wondering. See, you'll be wondering Did I do everything I was supposed to do? Did I? You know? But if you answer in the affirmative and you do things that please God, then you have this confidence. It gets replaced with a confidence and a peace that you cannot replace. We've got to quit the witchcraft, folks. We've got to quit the manipulating authority. Because one thing that it'll do, it will do, it so damages your concept of authority that when it's given to you, you won't be able to handle it properly. See, it sets you up for failure in the future. And nobody wants, everybody wants to be promoted. Everybody wants to be reassured that they can go farther. Nobody wants to stay at the same place all the time and so not responding in the affirmative puts your whole relationship in jeopardy so and that's why the parents train the children they know those kids will rebel if they're given an opportunity to it's in everybody you're not just more than wanting to do things for mom and dad you want to do you're more than wanting to have your way pretty much so it says here that the response is important to let authority know you heard what he or she has asked you to do and that you're going to get it done as soon as possible. Delayed obedience is really disobedience. Because obedience has certain requirements to it, to be obedient. Secondly, second uh, point of obedience that it must be cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver and person. He loves a cheerful child. No grumbling or complaining. Instead we respond with a cheerful I'd be happy to. You got me? And even if you're not going to be happy to, you say it to until you make yourself happy. Amen? (laughs) You know, if you get accustomed, you can change your own mind about these things. You can change your attitude about them by understanding what you're doing when you do these things and and make up your mind you're going to do them according to as it's pleasing to God. Number three, it must be thorough. We do our best. Complete the task as explained and leave nothing out. No lazy shortcuts. Amen. No lazy shortcuts. And number four, it must be unconditional. This is where it gets hard for most people. No excuses. None of this. That's not like in the church. We say that's not my gift. (laughs) Kids say that's not my job. Can not somebody else do it? or but none of that it says the hidden goal with this fun fast paced game is that kids won't need to be told more than once to do something Hmm. Because if they're told what, what happens when people are told more than once they get the impression that they're being imposed upon because or something's wrong that puts a, another uh, uh, layer of difficulty onto the task that really doesn't need to be there. You know it can be done uh, uh, well and it can be done right. And it says here more than wants to do something mom would explain the deeper reason behind why she and daddy desired for us to learn obedience. Mom and daddy won't always be with you but God will. She says, as we teach you to hear and obey our voice now, our prayer is that ultimately you will learn to hear and obey what God tells you through his word. Got me? So the parents see themselves as God's trainers for their children. You know, oh, if parents could get that concept of who they are in their children's lives. So you see themselves as their trainers, as the ones who are preparing them to step out into the world in godly obedience and not leave that job for somebody else to do later on down the line. Because that's what's really going to have to happen. That child, if they're going to be successful, they're going to have to learn obedience from somebody. And if there were my children, I'd rather train them at home when they get out in the world they know how to hear how to obey how to do everything they're supposed to do without fail and then they'll have success you know uh, kids who rebel against parents never have it good they never have it easy and so I can see them training and as soon as they're Be enough to run around and give somebody a high five when they they get into the program. (laughs) She says here, in many families, it seems that many of the goals of child training have been lost. Parents often expect their children to know what they should do and say and when and they're shocked and react harshly when their sweet little two-year-old throws a tantrum in the middle of the grocery store (laughs) this parental attitude probably stems from the belief (laughs) that we're all born basically good deep down inside but the truth is we're all born with a sin nature think about it you don't have to teach a child to hit scream whine disobey or be self it comes naturally the bible says that parents are to train up a child in the way he should go when he is old he will not depart from it and that's the parent's responsibility. So I thought I'd share that with you because I saw a practical yeah a practical thing there and, and really um, the parents have have studied and set out these guidelines. In fact, from what I see they have a support system in their homeschooling in their church community. See, this stuff doesn't come just out of nowhere to people. And when God gives it, he gives it to be shared. And so they kind of surround themselves with people of like precious faith. Other people who have committed to raise their children in the ways of the Lord and help their children to live as godly children. See, there's, there are things going on in this earth that God is orchestrating to demonstrate his word that oftentimes we know nothing about until he gives us an insight or an open door or the privilege of being able to observe uh, and see what these people are really doing. They're not just hiding their children from the world and protecting them, they're teaching them how to overcome in the world, you know, and use that word to overcome, but to live your life uh, in the world, but to live as an overcomer. From what I understand, those those girls get questions uh, through emails by the thousands so this is why they wrote the book they said to answer some of the thousands of questions they've had they also minister in different groups they they minister uh, for uh, um, different conferences and things like that And they share in small groups they go to camps and share in small groups how to live for God and so they said it was to answer some of the questions they never get a chance to fully answer when they're in these uh, small groups and so we see where God can use his word in very practical ways with people who are thoughtful, who are not afraid to share with other. Other groups of individual Christians, what they're doing. And so they have a pretty strong support system uh, within the community in in Christ that they are effective in and they're active in. You don't see them quitting because they can't somehow get a kid under control. You know, you don't see that. They know that God has given them away and all the tools they need to raise that child successfully. So uh, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing God has examples uh, like that. We see enough Christians who fail, you know, who don't have the tools, maybe whatever, something's missing somewhere, so it's good to see some people who are successful in it. So, uh, our faith in God and our trust in God has to be demonstrated through our faith. Number one, a number two point, that number one point I I had was about obedience. And uh, if you believe God is good, you'll be good to him. And that means being good means you'll, you'll obey him. That's point number one. And point number two is that do you believe God is faithful? If you believe God is faithful to you, Then you will be faithful to him. Do we show faith when we doubt that he will bless us and and when we obey him? The answer of course is no. We need to show faith to him all the time whether we're sensing the blessing, whether we're not being blessed necessarily. If it's a good day, it's a bad day. We need to be faithful to God in our hearts and not turn away from Him as is so easy for people to do. The Bible tells us that we're not to get weary in doing good. Huh? Not to get weary in well doing. And so and that's because God knows we will. We will have times where we question, is it going to happen for me? We will question. Sometimes you question, do you want it to happen for you? <laughs> it's going to bring more work and more trouble. You know, we, we delay the harvest sometimes because we see all oh, it's going to be hard to pull all this in, you know. And so we're told not to get weary. And how do we do that? Well, I think you can do that in a number of ways. Weariness is really a a a byproduct of focusing on self. Yes. See when you focus on self you get weary. Right. I remember when I was praying for my husband's salvation, and uh, there were days where I would just oh God, I don't know you gotta do this today. I'm tired of it. And it was because I was focusing on how it affected me too. And it's never a me issue when you're dealing with a lost soul it's always a them issue everything that you do is to bring them into proper relationship with god because that's a soul that will go to hell if you you know we don't focus on it we don't like to think about hell oh it's not that drastic you know (laughs) but it is that drastic people do go to hell when they don't receive christ and so or we think uh you know it's not that important for us we're not the only ones you may be you may be the only one who will be the witness and example why wouldn't you be the only one if that's a family member a spouse or somebody like that you're you're saved so that you can be the person that god can trust to be faithful to believe to the saving of that soul there's so many times you know you can see things turn around when you get the focus back on that person instead of yourself you know the way it's supposed to be because I I can remember a testimony and I never forgot that testimony because it really really affected me and it helped me to get over a lot of the hindrances that I had in my faith Uh, and Jack Hayford uh, was it Jack Hayford yeah, Jack Hayford was saying um, that he had, you know, he's a really, really gentle kind of a man. You know, he's always, he's the pastor. Everybody wants to be their pastor, you know, because it's, oh, Jack Hayford, called well up. And, uh, uh, but he, you know, sometimes when people that you hold in such high esteem can show you how human they are, it really has an impact. And so that one had an impact on me. But he said that there was a, a somebody in their family, like a brother-in-law, somebody he said, you know, most of our family was saved and, and there was a brother-in-law. And he just did everything wrong. You know, he just uh, didn't treat his family right, wouldn't work half the time. It just, it, it was, he was like had the reputation and, the, and nobody liked him. And so Jack said that that I was one of those. He said I just you know never really thought much about him. I just put him at, at a distance and disliked him and everything. And he said and God caught me one morning you know in my morning devotionals and he came before my face. And God said you pray for him but you don't love him. And he said, you know, he looked at that and he said, God, you know what? He said, I'm sorry. He said, I, I've been holding things against him and I haven't respected him and and so in in Jack just he said I repented and I told God I'm so sorry he said I I can love him he said I want to love him and so he said like within a week the man got saved he said all of these people in the family were holding all the saved people are holding him outside in bondage because of his sinful behavior which that's all he could do because he was a sinner you see what I'm saying and so sometimes it's just like that when you get the focus off of you and how judgmental you are and how you dislike somebody and now they're not this and they're not there you get it off of you and you get it onto them which is important you know you release people so that they can can their sins can be remitted and so it's a it's an important thing that that we have to really do And god is faithful we need to be faithful with him and faithful over the things that we have control over and certainly you have control over your faith you have control over your heart you to guard it with diligence so that what issues out of it is life-giving, and life-affirming, and not uh, destroying people, and not taking, and making them feel small, making them feel worthless, and making you feel important—that kind of thing. We have to watch those kinds of things. So, if we love God, and and we're showing our faith, our faith in God should reflect those kinds of things. If He is faithful, we got to be faithful back. We gotta show him in kind what we believe him to be. If you believe God is faithful, you must be faithful to him. Not get weary in well doing. Know that a faithful God will bring that harvest in its season. It'll come in its season. Sometimes we need to allow God to determine the season, not try to rush it and then try to hold it back. <laughs> you know we, we go hot and cold sometimes time um, so we we don't want to walk away from that harvest we want to be faithful and be right there at harvest time so that we you know he doesn't have to send somebody else to do our job Pro- <clears throat> proverbs four twenty to 22 if you believe the word is what it says it is then you will do what the word says it will do Proverbs four twenty says that we should pay attention to the word in faith. When it says attend to my word, that means mix your faith with it, give it your full attention, pay attention to it, don't let it just be there and not grab onto it. And it says uh, um Proverbs 4, we always use that for healing. Remember, that's our healing scripture. Attend to my words because there's life to those that find them in health or medicine to all of our flesh. And so you've got to believe if you listen to the word, you will be healed. You've got to believe that. and And not get into works about it but put it in your heart in faith meditate on it grab it hold it in there and consider it and, and keep it foremost in your attention you'll you'll get the give the words your full attention and consider any report not consider any report contrary to it that's what it means to when you says attend to it let it you take care of it and let it take care of you And you don't consider anything contrary. He said, attend to my word. Not the doctors. Not the scientists. Not Oprah. Attend to my word. Incline your ear to my sayings. When Jesus sees your faith, he'll heal you. Sometimes he'll tell you just keep getting up and going where you're supposed to go. And you'll be healed as you went. Sometimes it'll just hit you all of a sudden you'll you'll be listening to the word hearing the word and then later on when you're not even in the word your body will start to respond to it just don't know when it'll happen you got me so in in the bible says we're healed when we see with our eyes hear with our ears and understand with our hearts and we're converted anybody can do this I was talking to Nolan I got to get this confirmed but I uh, remember Alicia her cousin remember the the, when we had the impromptu healing school in Cleveland and we had that I put that scarf that gaudy scarf (laughs) and she wore it and she sent us a picture back when she was at the hospice with her sisters she had a tumor that had cut her bowels off and they had to put a colostomy on her. What I understand has happened now, the doctor said that that tumor has shrunk and she begged them to reverse that colostomy and they did and now she's having a normal yeah absolutely yeah. I'm going to get it confirmed again but I know that she because of the last time she texted me she said I've been telling them to take this thing off me if they can take this off me I, I know it see when you're healed you know it there's a knowing on the inside of you when this word takes takes root in you so your faith and that was the action she needed to See, and she was fearless in it you know reverse this because I know I'm healed and I know I don't people who are not healed don't ask for that they want to hold on to whatever they think is keeping them alive but when they know they're healed then that's how you, you show God your faith show him your faith and he'll do it for you every time amen why don't we stop Father we thank you for allowing us to see what we need to do <laughs> everyday things Father simple things That please you because they let you see us believing you. You, We need to demonstrate our faith Lord. We just can't sit on our faith any longer. We need to demonstrate it and we need to demonstrate it all of the time. Father I thank you to show us people that would come to the meetings and come to church if we would just step out and ask them to step out and ask them show you our faith in you that you do have people that need to be here and we're close to them all the time we thank you so much for this new awakening in us father that we need to show you that we believe you and we thank you for it lord in jesus name amen and praise god amen if anybody needs prayer can come